Welcome back to the flip side, ladies and gentlemen. Galen Clavio along with Brian Moritz as we're here to entertain at least ourselves and maybe you. That'd be a nice added bonus. But uh, if we can entertain ourselves, we figure that it was a good evening's worth of podcasting. Brian, it is delightful to hear your voice again and to be in electronic proximity to you. How are you feeling? I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. You know, it's, it's always good. The whole point of this podcast really is just to entertain ourselves and to have fun and if other people, you know, if we can help other people, you know, I feel like that's a public service that we can offer. But I do think that, you know, the, the entertainment value that we provide in, that, to each other on these hourly calls every week is good. Um... And uh, you know the weather. Uh, the weather's good here. We had a, we had a little bit of winter storm this morning, but we we're able to power through as always. Um, I've got a brand new mic. I've got beer. I'm ready to roll here. So life is good. It's it's really good to hear you sound as buoyant as you sound right now with this new mic. You've mentioned it twice in the first four minutes of this call, <laughs> and I feel like this might be a turning point in the podcast. I I, I feel like it is. It's legitimately like the only new thing I have going for me right now, so that's why I've mentioned it a few times, just because, you know, it, it's what I've got. But no, it is the uh, Samsung Meteor. I'm going to give it a plug here. The Samsung Meteor mic, USB studio mic for computer recording. Uh, it's tiny. I, I had been using... So originally, if you noticed, if you're a student of the call quality of the flip side, you would notice the the uneven quality early on. And that was because I was talking into the Apple headphones, the ones that like come uh, yeah. with your iPhone, um, which are fine, but you know... They're not really fine. No, well, I mean, you know, I won't. E- I won't even call my mother using those. <laughs> you, w- you wouldn't call your mother with those headphones, but um, you know, th- th- they're better than you know trying to shout at you in Indiana from here, probably. Um, I had, sure. and, and so I had moved on. I would been, had borrowed from our school library the Snowball uh, USB mic, which is the one that looks like a little basketball. Right. And so we've moved on to this little one, and it's cool. It kind of looks like the 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 old fashioned old timey mic that David Letterman used to have on his uh on his yeah. like, on, on his thing so it's working so i like it that's um, great yeah so um so we so there's some beer talk we have to get going before we get to our our multitude of topics this is actually a fun funny week with that because i actually prepared for this week and had like a whole list of topics in our google doc and then our listeners came through in spades with topics this week so we've got a lot to talk about it is really remarkable. This normally doesn't happen. I was actually mortified as the suggestions kept rolling in, and I was like, "What? No, what? no! Like this? This isn't how things are supposed to work." So I was, I know, I was actually really happy about it. We we, we just ask out of tokenism. No, not really. Um, right. So, uh, what is your beverage for the for recording this evening? So I was in Nashville, Tennessee this past week. I saw and, that, yeah. Uh, for the for the College Media Institute's uh, sports reporting training camp. Okay. Uh, it was cool. I mean, that Buster Olney was there, oh, nice. and uh, he was really great. Clay Travis was there. He was actually really good. Uh, several other uh, you know luminaries in the sports media biz. But uh, I was driving back, and I stopped at a gas station because there's, there's actually a plentiful assortment of local beers and southern beers in Nashville that we don't get here four hours north. Okay. And so I I picked up several different beers, some of which I'd had, but I picked up a couple which I hadn't. So what I'm holding in my hand right now, and I haven't tasted it yet, I was waiting for the podcast, is the the High Lie IPA by Cigar City Brewing. Okay. 
If you're not familiar with Cigar City, they have a very, I would say, a sterling reputation. They're out of they're out of Tampa, but I'm, I've constantly heard how good their beers are, so I'm really looking forward to trying this. That sounds good. I have heard of Cigar City. I'm interested to see how it goes. So um, we'll have your first so, sip here. And, I just, uh, just took it. All right, what do we have? Uh, it's interesting. It's definitely an IPA, mm-hmm. and it's got a rounder flavor to it there's there's definitely hops and it's definitely got that kind of ipa kind of tallness to it but the the back end of the flavor profile is a little bit rounded Uh, i don't know if that's because of the beer itself or because i'm drinking it out of a can as opposed to out of a bottle okay but i like it i like it immediately it's very it's very hoppy it actually is reminiscent of the beer that you're going to recount uh, a story about (laughs) here in a little bit but it's not as sharp as that beer. It's it's like I said, it's a little rounder on the back end. Gotcha. So tonight I actually am going with the uh, Dogfish Head Pumpkin Ale, um, okay. kind of one of the uh, kind of a classic, um, solid solid pumpkin pumpkin beer. Um, I did like what they did with the uh, with the uh, the label this year. Instead of like the usual, it's going to hang on it. They have like a like kind of like a Dios de los Muertos uh, skeleton thing, a jack o' lantern pumpkin thing happening it's a really cool label which i like um and pumpkin ale is you know kind of one of the dogfish head standards and with good reason but uh the beer i was gonna i I definitely want to talk about because i have to buy it is i finally and this is a a favorite of yours on the podcast i finally had my first bell's two-hearted ipa over the weekend actually texted you a picture of the beer um from the world of beer in syracuse where my wife and i were and um, it was the first time I had it, and that is a good IPA. It really is. Outstanding. <laughs> I, I, I got it simply because it was at World of Beer. You know, there's, you know, all the all, you know, huge variety. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to have first. And I saw that, and I'm like, that's a good, you know, I've wanted to try it. I know you like it, so I know it's going to be quality. And I had it, and it even exceeded my expectations for how good it was going to be. Um, it's just outstanding, outstanding. I have to see if, if they, uh, distribute locally here for, uh, in bottles and or cans. Um, but then I had a, uh, and then I followed that up with a founder's, uh, breakfast stout, yes. uh, which is out, which is also very yeah, good. Yeah. You, you went like true Michigan on this I, trip. I, apparently. I, I, I did. Well, and that, that wasn't even, that wasn't even the highlight of the trip because the highlight of the trip. So we're walking around world of beer in Syracuse is in. The Destiny Destiny USA, which is their enormous mall that's in Syracuse. It's like been built they built it in stages for oh god, most of my life. And it's uh like they and, and they have like big the big kind of chain restaurants. So there's a Texas de Brazil there, there's a world of beer, there's a Cantina Laredo, there's a melting pot, um, a bunch of activities, there's a comedy club, there's a Margaritaville. It's like one of those malls with like it's like a destination type mall. It's actually really fun to spend some time in. And we were walking around and we were I forget which store we were walking by and we saw a bunch of very nicely dressed young women taking a picture with some guy. And we're like, Who is that? And it turns out it was Flo Rida. <laughs> Flo Rida was he was playing at a it was totally wrong. He was playing at a casino down the road between Rochester and Syracuse, their opening weekend. And, you know, we had to Google him because, you know, who is that guy? Huh? I don't know. He's obviously somebody famous. Google and like I kind of figured it, took a guess and figured Flo Rida at the mall. So that's great. Yeah. 
that's uh, no, that's that's a hell of a trip, man. That's yeah. uh, I don't I, I I don't I think I'd still be sitting down after that sort of a trip. Right. I mean, I mean, you get your first Bell's Heart of Two IPA and Florida in one night. I mean, that's a full yeah. night right there. You can't ask for anything more. You really can't in life. So, um, so let's. So we have lots of topics to get to from our awesome listeners. Um, and oh my god, people are still commenting on the status. So um, I, I don't even know. I, this is it's weird. It's like someone cut a vein and right? it's just bleeding all over, uh, right. which is great. I mean, we like the blood of of comments and questions. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yes. Um, the more the, the bloodier the better. Um, all right, why don't we do the there, there was the one on Twitter and then we'll just start going down the Facebook ones as always. Um, all right, we, we, let, we, let, we, we can't do you want me do you want me to referee these since yeah. they all came to my account? Okay, yes, yes. Why don't you do that? So let's start with the question that popped up on Twitter, which was, I don't know if you've seen the announcement today. But the NCAA announced that they would be trying experimental rules out for the NIT tournament. Okay. Did you see this? No. So basically what they're doing is uh, – hold on. I want to I find this and, and, and just read it to you because it's, it's just it, – I just want to get your unvarnished – response to this. The, uh, the NCAA playing rules oversight panel has approved experimental rules that will reset team fouls to zero at the end of 10-minute segments of each half in the upcoming 2017 NIT tournament. Okay. Each so, team is... each team. Okay, in the experimental rule regarding resetting the team fouls, the one-and-done free throw bonus will not occur. Instead, teams will shoot two free throws in the following examples. Okay. Each team is limited to a team total of four personal and technical fouls, excluding administrative technical fouls, during each 10-minute segment of each half. Okay. The first 10-minute segment goes from the beginning of the half to the 10-minute mark. The second goes from the 9.59 mark to the end of the half. When a team exceeds the four-foul limitation, all subsequent personal and technical fouls will be penalized by two free throw attempts. Each team's foul total will reset to zero when any 10-minute segment has ended. The rules regarding penalties for fouls in the act of shooting, flagrant fouls, or technical fouls will not be affected by this rule. And in any overtime period, when a team has reached a total of three personal and technical fouls, all subsequent personal and technical fouls will be penalized by two free throw attempts. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did follow that. Um, for one thing, just the phrase administrative technical now gives me the shudders thanks to the Bonavicu game from a couple weeks ago. No that kidding. that that seems ridiculously and needlessly complicated, doesn't it? I mean that's my first oh, okay. my first read on it. Now it looks now it sounds to me and I, I know this kind of from what was mentioned on, on, on the, the comment on Twitter. It's like they're 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 broaching the subject of going to quarters like women's basketball. Um, right. So that kind of seems like the uh, the first baby step in doing that. But then why wouldn't they just try quarters instead of this weirdly convoluted four fouls every ten minutes? Um, yeah, that's because there's now there's going to be you know what's going to happen on it. And again, this is top of mind because I haven't prepared on this or heard about this for today you know there's going to be some awkwardly weird coaching strategy about following with like not 1003 to go and using up the fouls and getting to like two and then three and then letting them play tonight and then we're it's gonna it's 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 pointless what's the i don't understand what what okay what problem does this solve for college basketball it doesn't really solve anything i mean what it solves i guess is this perception that 
there's too many fouls in the game that it there's a there's a parade to the foul line in you know the the ha- the second halves especially of every game. I think part of it is, is this image that there's just too many free throws, which I mean maybe you could solve that by having better officials. Having better officials, certainly. Uh, look, I do think that you hit the nail on the head. They're trying to move towards the four-quarter system, and this is like a half-assed way of doing so. And I look, I don't understand the real hesitancy towards going to quarters in the first place. Like, four 10-minute quarters is not tremendously different than two 20-minute halves. No. We've had quarters as experimental rules. I remember very clearly an IU basketball game from... 1999 I want to say it was where they were in Hawaii where they they played a four quarter game it was in a preseason tournament so it was an experimental thing mm-hmm. I have bad memories of the four quarters because IU lost that game rather handily to Hawaii okay but but I didn't think that the rule itself was bad um so I don't know I mean it, it's like why do these half-assed measures it doesn't make a whole lot of sense like just go to the four quarter thing as an experimental rule and see how it works that's the thing like like I don't see yeah it the, the, it it's weird it makes no sense whatsoever like again I come back to the question of what what problem facing college basketball does this excuse me does this solve and I feel like I don't know. Like I watched a little more college basketball this weekend than I had in the than I have recently. Um, just kind of flipping through games while I was at the gym on Sunday on Saturday, and you know, there's a lot of I forget which game it was. So I was watching the first half of Syracuse Pitt. There was the West Virginia State games, whoever they played, um, and then Florida was playing. I think I don't know other t- team. Um, I was driving all weekend. Right. I can't really help you. No, I'm I'm not really looking for help. It, it, the, the 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 games are who the, who was playing is immaterial, but it, it just seemed like now a lot of it I think is the style of play. You know, it's the the maddening dribble dribble at the top of the key for 15 seconds, then drive and either try to draw a foul or try to like draw the defense and pass either inside or outside. Like no like, like lack of general ball movement, just kind of generic one on one offense that I find distasteful, especially. At the skill level of most college players, it's different when it's, you know, Kevin Durant or Russell Westbrook doing that in the NBA. But when you have guys at the college level who aren't that skill, it's not as appealing to me. But I just, I noticed um, as I was flipping around and without much um, emotional attachment to these games, just a lot of fouls being called. And, you know, and, and it's not to say that. You know, this is that's not necessarily a straight criticism of the refs, like uh, necessarily. Like, I think the refs are to blame, but I think the kind of style of play and the kind of uh, the way the games are being played necessitated that. But it would seem to me like if you're worried about the parade of free throws, then um, I don't you know, there are other ways to do it to call less contact or um, to well, call- I think the, the problem is this the problem, I think, and maybe you'll agree with me on this, having covered the game. The the default mechanism for a lot of college basketball coaches uh, when they don't have the talent to compete is to basically make it about physicality and right. contact. And, you know, when you're constantly bumping and fouling the opposition under the conceptualization that they are, they're not going to call every foul, mm-hmm. uh, you you do kind of damage the game, certainly the offensive game. And, and rather than it being good defense, what it is is basically uh, being overly physical. And that creates 
a less desirable product for right. people to watch. Now, there's there are ways if you are consistent with it to get physicality more out of the game but it requires more than just telling the officials what to do there also have to be instructions given to the teams like look you're not gonna be able to get away with this anymore right um you know i don't know i i think that at the end of the day because there are so many teams playing college basketball and because there are so many different levels of talent ability and ability in college basketball it's hard for you know, to to look at a, a team and say, well, you shouldn't be able to play this physically, and you're just doing it to compensate for your lack of ability. Versus, oh, this is actually just how you play. Like West Virginia is a talented team, right? But they, you know, they're over all over you all the time. And or Louisville is a good example of a team like that. Like mm-hmm. it, it is hard to make those sort of, of distinctions. So I don't know if there's a, a, a solid answer for it, but I, I don't think that this particular answer is a good one. No, I think this is a terrible one. This is kind of like this weirdly convoluted way to to try and attempt to fix something to kind of fix a symptom rather than address the problem. I don't know. Yeah. It sounds like, sounds like the NCAA, doesn't it? Oh, totally. Absolutely. Um, as long as they give the coaches an extra timeout to deal with that in the quarter system, you know, then I'll feel much better about it. Let's, uh, (laughs) let's jump to another one of these, (laughs) these things here. There was a lot of questions about, uh, the, the IU situation. Uh, So we'll just, we'll tackle that real quick. Uh, questions from, uh, Jason Kennedy, IU basketball, time to panic, or was that a couple of weeks ago? Okay. Jonathan Honeywell, is this the year of the Crean buyout slash firing? Uh, Will Peterson, the economics of buying out a coach for a university athletic program and how it affects mid-majors versus high-majors. So let me tackle uh, a little bit of that. Okay. Uh, for those who haven't followed Indiana University basketball in dire straits, they lost their fifth game out of six at home to Michigan this week. Michigan's not that great of a team. They lost by double digits. They never led at any point during the game. The team looks completely discombobulated. And there's a lot of discontent about the coaching situation. Again, uh, it seems like that's a broken record here at IU, but there's a reason why it's a broken record here at IU. So there's been questions about that. I don't know what the situation is. I mean, the coach has, uh, you know, he'll have – his contract goes to 2020. Okay. There's still a $4 million buyout, but there's also a lot of apathy in the fan base. And that's never a good sign, particularly at a place like Indiana, where you would expect there to be a lot of excitement always about the basketball program. Sure. So what happens? I really, I don't have a good read on it. Like, you know, the, the basketball part of me says, well, there needs to be a change because there's just, there's, there's too much talent on the team for them to be playing this poorly the kind of law like multiple times burned fan in me says nothing's going to change here with this situation but the but the buyout situation is kind of interesting it's like at what point does it become economical to buy out a coach Hmm. so tom crean's buyout right now is four million dollars okay his contract you know he makes about 3.1 million dollars a year that buyout drops to one million dollars in july Okay. But most of the time you don't make a coaching change that late in the cycle. Right. So I don't know. I mean, and certainly for a a program like IU, they could afford it. It might make it uh, difficult to get a top dollar uh, ready for a coach when you're trying to hire one because that's a lot of green to lay out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, certainly for a mid-major, it's a lot more difficult to swallow 
that sort of a, a salary. But then again, a lot of times the salaries aren't really approaching the numbers that you're seeing at the major college level. Right, but there's still like $1 million to a, a St. Bonaventure is as big a hit, if not more of a hit, as far as ratios go, than $4 million bucks is to an IU. Um, I don't know. Like, I, like I come through. I come to IU basketball specifically through you, through Matt Zimmerman, and through my other friends that I've made through IAX and at IU. And I have not sensed a lot of happiness around the Hoosier program for the past couple of years. For a lot of the years that I've known you guys, actually. And so I don't know. I it, it feels like for a program like Indiana, um, I'm interested in something you said because you said that the the jilted fan in you, I wasn't your exact words, but like you, you've kind of been burned before and you don't think it'll make a difference. And I'm interested in why you think that is because, again, as an outsider, you know, someone very much not within IU, I would look at Indiana as a job where if they buy out Crean, you know, that's Indiana. That's a school. That's a program with titles. That's a program with kind of some stature. It's in a basketball. It's a basketball school in a basketball state. You would think now I'm sounding like the guys on PTI, but that's why I'm asking for your take on it. You would think that that's like a destination job for people and they would be able to find somebody. So why why the lack of faith in nothing changing if they get rid of the current coach? No, that's not what I meant. I oh, meant okay. I I don't think that they're going to change the current coach. That's, oh, okay. Sorry, misunderstood. Like I, I don't have I don't have a lot of faith right now that at the end of the day there's going to be a change made. Oh, okay. I, God, I'm um, and and that no, it's fine. And that comes from you know what's been frankly I think a disappointing overall tenure that Crean's been here, but also uh, you know we dealt with this with Mike Davis a decade ago, mm-hmm. where you know they missed the NCAA tournament in 2004 and no change was made and everybody was shocked and then in 2005 they missed the tournament again and no change was made and everybody was was infuriated and then in 2006 they finally made a change and they went out and hired like you know the guy that ended up landing them on probation right uh, you know so it's it's just been it's been a rough go i think for a lot of iu fans and i think a lot of fans myself included really felt that this time you know with crean was going to be different and and i mean it's been better but it's certainly it hasn't reached the heights of what you were just describing the whole you know we're indiana we went we've won title stuff like that if anything i think it's been disappointing because a lot of iu fans frankly seem to have settled uh, for the the vision that this is actually not that special of a program anymore, hmm. uh, you know that's become a common motif among the Crean defenders, particularly in the media. This idea that well, I use not that special of a program anymore because you know they haven't won a title since 1987, and uh, you know they you know prior to prior to 2013 they hadn't been to a Sweet 16 since 2002. That you know those sorts of things have kind of seeped into the fan base. And I think to some degree, the fans have started to believe that the, the bloom is completely off the IU rose and that there's, you know, they're, they're no longer in the same conversation as the blue bloods. And to me, that's very backwards thinking for a number of reasons, but it's gotten me kind of depressed because if that's the, if that's the, the going mentality, then I, I fear for the future. Yeah, that's not a good place for any program to be. I mean, at, in general, I think at whatever your program is, you want to be aspirational in a way. You want to be, you know, 
you know, certainly standards are different. Bonaventure is going to have very different standards of excellence than IU is going to have or Syracuse is going to have. And that's understandable. But you want to be kind of hold yourself, I think, you know, in anything, but, you know, life, academics, athletics to the highest reasonable standard that you can that you can apply to. And, you know, is Indiana a team that can consistently compete for a national championship? You know, maybe this is my nostalgia talking from, you know, growing up when they did, but I don't see why they can't. You know, right. I don't see why they can't be, you know, you know, Michigan State does it in the in that conference. Wisconsin, I don't know if Wisconsin's up up, up there too. So I don't, I, yeah, it, it, it saddens me actually to hear that because, you know, I, I think, in, you know, Indiana is just kind of one of those marquee programs. And so here's a question for you, and that's a make this totally IU basketball hour because I know there are a lot of good pot you I think host a podcast about this but yes. why um so why why has this kind of you know for lack of a better word defeatist attitude come about was I think it, it's was it probation that did it was that such a big no, blow that like they're trying to like no okay. I think it's a combination of factors I think one factor is if IU fans as a culture, have a weakness. It's that they pay too much attention to what other people think about IU basketball. Okay. Uh, this was this was certainly the case in the last like ten years of the night era, where the concern was always what the perception of IU was from like you know the East Coast media centers. Okay. Um, I think that over the course of the last fifteen to twenty years, you know, I mean, Knight was fired in two thousand, and you know, from that point. You had, you had Mike Davis, who pretty much everybody acknowledged was not the right fit, but a lot of blame was being placed at the hands not of Mike Davis, but uh, at the at the at the feet of the fan base for that not being supportive enough. That was the reason why IU wasn't winning. And then and then it was okay. Kelvin Sampson got hired, and then everything was blamed on Sampson. Then when Crean got here. You know, every time Crean's run into a rough patch where people have criticized him, it's not, oh, Crean's not doing a good enough job. It's, oh, look at these crazy IU fans. They can't let go of the Bob Knight era. Mm, okay. And and so, you know, and, and I think there are also Crean defenders for whom, you know, in their eyes and, and their logical pattern, they think Crean is a top coach in college basketball. And this is... You know, because he's a top coach, this is the best that can be done at IU. And the idea that you're going to find anybody better that would willingly come to IU is a pipe dream. Like I've, I see people write this on a regular basis. Uh, these are you know, like professional media members, bloggers, like people who, who you know, regularly write about college basketball, saying this. And you know, to me. That's tremendously backwards thinking. It's it's contrary to how college basketball works in most circles, and yet that seems to be the prevailing attitude of a lot of people here. At least people that cover uh, the team, or people that that are that are supporters of Crean within the fan base. And so, I don't have a good answer for you other than I think if one of the big issues, frankly, also is every time you turn on the television and IU comes up. Uh, and I think you you liked a tweet that that was sent out earlier that related to this. Every time that that IU and Tom Crean get mentioned, 
the the national media members immediately hop up and say, "Oh, Tom Crean's a great coach," and I, mm-hmm. I don't see how he could be on the hot seat. You know, they've had so, so many injuries this year. And you know, you know th- three years ago when they missed the NCAA tournament, it was well, you know, Tom Crean can't be expected to compete. You know, they they lost. They had two picks in the top four of the NBA draft in the previous year. And then you know the next year when they were on the bubble, it was oh, you know, well. Um, you know they've had they've had disciplinary problems, and Tom Crean can't control what goes on with his roster. It's always excuses, mm-hmm. and it's always Tom Crean's a great coach. Uh, the criticism of him is unwarranted, regardless of what the criticism in is. Is it's always unwarranted, yeah, and and, and, it, and it's coming from guys like you know Seth Greenberg and from Gary Parish and from. Uh, you know, you know, people, Jeff Goodman, you know, people who are in positions where you would think, oh, these people watch college basketball all the time. They know what they're talking about. Yet, like there was a the CBS podcast today, you know, it was Parrish and Norlander, and they were talking about how, you know, they can't imagine why Crean would be on the hot seat. And they just had so many injuries this year. And that's that's really the only reason why they're struggling, which if you've watched the games is just so like absolutely untrue that makes you bang your head against the wall but that ends up becoming the national perception and you know let, you know again outsider's perspective but you know i'm not saying tom crean's a good coach or a bad coach i mean he went to a final four with the at marquette but he had dwayne wade i mean it's it's and that was also 14 years ago right it's hard to screw up a team with the, when you're when you have dwayne wade in college I yeah. mean, especially you know, it was Dwayne Wade. He was a senior, right? So he it wasn't like. Well, he was a. I think it was a, he was a second year player. I don't think he was a senior. Oh, he, okay. he went to the NBA right after. Oh, that. okay, that's right. But still, you, yeah, it's like LeBron's high school coach getting, uh, getting all get, getting chances. Not to say he's not a bad coach, but it always helps when you have talent. Um, on that. So, all right, we should probably move off of IU basketball. Not that it's not a great topic, but like you said, you have lots of topics. I will say on the. Uh, buying out a coach for a university athletic program. Um, I know economics always play a role on it. I tend to, I, I, I tend to, I sometimes get into arguments and this gets into pros too, but colleges as well. I tend to think, you know, there's no real, I, I, no nobility and stability. Like I, I, I always feel like there, there, I'd rather get rid of a coach of my team a year too early than a year too late. Like I feel like that that that's a sunk cost thing that a team that schools and 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 pro teams tend to hold on to a coach a little too long, and yeah. um you know there was an argument trying to be made by some by national media people and just getting to the pro football, but some by national media people and some by like his friends in New York that Rex Ryan shouldn't have been fired after only two years in Buffalo, and you know my argument is they're not getting any better. What are you going to do going seven and nine or maybe nine and seven with him? there i don't know i just i i i've never bought that idea of continuity for continuity's sake if something's not working start over i think never underestimate the ability of athletic directors to make stupid contractual decisions relating to their college coaches i mean you know in this era it's these insane buyouts i mean uh, crean got an insane buyout crean's buyout like the first two years of his contract was like 12 million dollars oh my gosh uh, Steve Alford had a similar buyout at, at the beginning of his contract at UCLA. Um, the, you know, if you turn your attention to like about a decade ago, a little more than that, maybe a decade and a half ago, you remember when colleges were signing these insane like 
named successor deals. Yes. Where, like, uh, you know, Bob, Bob Knight's coaching at Texas Tech, and Pat Knight is his guaranteed successor. Syracuse has at that Texas right. Texas Tech. Yep, Syracuse yeah. has that right now. Uh, Mike Hopkins is the is the coach in waiting for Bayheim. Right. I mean, the, uh, look, I get that agents are going to try to pull things, but man, you know, athletic directors get bent over the railing on a regular basis by <laughs> agents of coaches where the coach really doesn't have that much leverage. I mean, you know, what was, you know, I mean, like what, le- I mean, what was Mike, was Mike Hopkins really going to leave no. and go coach somewhere else? No, probably not. But uh, I don't know. I'm always amazed by, by that process. There's a great argument to be made for athletic directors. Like, you know, certainly not having the final executive power of, of these contracts, but a lot of it is simply people who are not, working in positions that they're particularly qualified for like mm-hmm. negotiating the final terms of contracts i mean you, you got to know how the business is working at that point i mean one thing i'll say with the nfl or with most professional sports is those teams have lawyers that know exactly where and what should be done in most cases not always i mean you know the the bills and the raiders are, are normally exceptions to that <laughs> but uh but most of the teams have a pretty good idea of what they're doing with those contracts yeah I'll agree with that. So, all right, moving off of IU basketball, where are we going next on this cavalcade of topics? Man, it's a lot of topics. Let's talk Charles Oakley. Yes. Uh, great American or greatest American? Another <laughs> Jason Kennedy question. So did you see what happened today? Um, so this was the summit with Michael Jordan for some reason? Michael Jordan and Adam Silver with a summit uh, a summit with James Dolan and and Charles Oakley. Is, is this is – this now, now, did we really need that? The, I mean, the, this the whole summit? thing is – it, it, this, this whole story is preposterous on, on on a number of wonderful levels. Um, so we were talking about this today. I had the uh, SID at Oswego, Mike Bielak, came in and talked to my sports writing class about you know the relationship between PR and newspapers and stuff like that. And Mike's a good guy. And we are, and, and we got talking about the story came up, and we were talking about his. And he said the Knicks PR office is they're the worst right now for the way they've handled it. And my reaction as the newspaper guy was, look, this isn't. I know this isn't the PR people putting out these press releases. This is the owner telling them, this is what you're going to write about this. This is not the independent PR guy sitting down and writing a thoughtful statement about it. This is the owner telling, probably writing it on his iPhone and sending it, sending it out. Um, but man, this and and now I, I I just love you know this is a, such a fun story, really. Because I, I, I hate to tease the audience, but. I have a remarkable off-the-record story relating to what you just said that I cannot share on the podcast, but oh. that I will share with you after the podcast is over. All right. If we ever have our, if we ever do a live, when we do a live show at at, at IAX in a couple years or wherever we do a live show someday, if you come out, maybe we can tell this. The, <laughs> you, you can hear the off-the-record story about this. Um, but but no, it's like, and this is such a wonder. It, it's so wonderfully weird that because it's a New York story it's taking place like in the doldrums of the NBA season like the Super Bowl's over college basketball is just starting to get our attention but it's still far enough out that no one's super interested in it 
Um, they had the, the, you know, and, and so this is a New York thing. It's Oakley. So it's like that throwback to when a lot of us really cared about the NBA or remember about, uh, about the NBA. But is this such a big deal and so important to the league that the commissioner and for some, why is Michael Jordan involved? He hated like him and Oakley, like hated each other when they played. Why? I no, no, I, no, 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 no. Oakley became Jordan's enforcer after he retired. Uh, uh, like there's a, there's he, a great, like a there, actual bodyguard. Yeah, well, I mean, more or less. Like that, you know, if you read Bill Simmons' book, there's that whole section about how Oakley, like, basically, Oakley was would follow Jordan everywhere he went. Like, it was a great scene with like, like Simmons watching the the two of them, you know, at a restaurant in Las Vegas at one point. So no, it's it's okay. there's okay. there's a there's there's certainly a friendship there. Okay. Um, I just look, and I I always talk to my class about this you know the only reason this is a story is because it involves the knicks yes who are not newsworthy in the least but but they are being they're always treated as such because they're in new york i mean if if james dolan owned the grizzlies right and and this was some like you know this was bryant reeves or somebody like that Uh, no, no one would give a crap. Like Look, we wouldn't have seen one. There was certainly not have been a summit called to try to smooth this over. Well, the, well, the world does need big country to come make a comeback, though. Big country, man. Um, but it's the it, it's just so um, it's so classic, like a New York over the top story, like the cops dragging him off like that. Um, yeah. Like everything about that, like. It's so fun to watch at a distance. And, you know, as a fan of a dysfunctional team, man, I'm glad the Knicks exist because they make my team's dysfunction look like JV ball compared to that. I mean, that was just – it's so funny and so, like – and you're right. It's such a Knicks story. It's such a New York Knicks story because how seriously does the team take itself within its place in the league that they're holding summits and the commissioner and the greatest player – of all time are involved over a, a, a dispute between an owner who know and, and and how great is it that every New York fan is like completely on Charles Oakley's side? Like it's wonderful. I love that. I I, I, I genuinely this story makes me shake my head, but I also love that it continues to exist. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. Let's jump topics again yes. immediately. Um, I guess I have to mention Liverpool 2, Spurs nil because That's, Jason Kennedy asked, okay. and I'm not going to spend a minute on this topic. Well, I, we ha- well, well, I have to spend a minute on it. That's the flip side guarantee, and I'm going to do that since it's soccer, and I, I'm that is soccer, right? English? Uh, yes, it okay. is. It is the Premier okay. League. Okay, so so I, I I can fill our minute on this with my expert soccer analysis. Ready? Okay. Mm-hmm. So Liverpool two, Spurs nothing. So Liverpool is outside. Two nil. I'm sorry. Two nil. <laughs> Liverpool is outside Syracuse. I know they didn't have school today because my friend teaches there um the spurs well the, you know since duncan retired they're really missing a lot in goal um and <laughs> they then, did beat the pacers tonight <laughs> um so see that's why they're tired i mean they already beat the pacers so now they're being asked to play liverpool on the same night that's really that's really a disadvantage for them i mean liverpool should be ashamed that they're only up to nothing on this and they didn't have school today because of the snow so they're well rested they didn't have class and then there's something about arsenal in the round of 16 champions lead ex- league exit which i'm assuming is it's just a Marvel movie, so <laughs> you really need to get into this a little bit. <laughs> I, 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 part of me wants to, but I also love being like the one person who's not into soccer. Okay, first I, of all, you're not the one person that's okay, not into okay, soccer. Okay, like that's... within, with, with, 
with within like our little like group and within a lot of my students like a lot of them are into soccer and 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 you know you and and a lot of our ix friends are into soccer as well and i don't know i'm i i should get into it but again so that that brings up the problem i always have and i and i think about this this time of year when baseball starting to come back like i want to be back into baseball like i want to like I, there's something there's something appealing about following baseball and similar to soccer like you know i i see the joy you bring i see the great stories on it i see the skill level i see everything that's alluring about soccer but i don't have that you know that emotional connection to it and so do i just like randomly pick a team do i pick i don't know do i pick the spurs because they're are they the official team of the flip side should i should i cheer for them is that how this works it it's just it's just Spurs and yes they are the official team of the flip side. Spurs yes. are the official team of the flip side. Okay, I'm gonna have to look into this. I may I may have to become a Spurs fan. It's uh it's really I, they're an enjoyable team. There there's some good characters on there that you'd probably like. All right, well David Robinson. I mean he's like 60 and I can't believe he's still playing. Uh, God. So okay, yes. let's move on. Um, Law and Order SVU's 400th episode. This coming from Molly Yannity. Yeah. I mean, how much? goddamn money does dick wolf have now well how much money do these make i mean i mean think about how long it's been on to be 400 episodes and the syndication rights of well, and, of, and that's just svu right, that, is, that, that, that doesn't even count the regular law and order which aired for 456 episodes right and and, and all the all the various spinoffs of it um man i gotta tell you svu has been tougher to watch obviously since i've had a kid for obvious yes. reasons um but such a you know it's a really you know law and order is just one of those shows that's just wonderful to throw on and um that's just uh, you know olivia ben- uh, olivia benson you know hats off to her uh, underrated part of that show was ice t's dramatic turn you know in, gen- <laughs> in general not you know not like he had a heel turn as a character but just his role on that uh, on that like i always find that interesting because Obviously, he had he had his rap career, and a lot of the stuff I've seen him in, and a lot of rappers when they go pop culture, they tend to go funny, like they tend to be unexpectedly funny. Like you know, obviously the big example of that would be Snoop Dogg, kind of making a career out of that. Um, Ice Cube, in a way, kind of kind of you know going that route as well, in a way, you know, kind of skewing funny, skewing as an easy way to make to go to a wide audience and ice T can be really funny. I've seen in interviews, but he went, he went dramatic here and he's not the main star of this. Like, you know, he's at least third or fourth bill kind of when you think of that show show and, you know, just always really, you know, really, really solid, really, really well, a real good character actor on that show. So, um, you know, kind of underrated aspect of that show, I think. So I gotta be honest. I, I mean, like everybody else, I watched the original Law and Order quite a bit, right. uh, and and really from the beginning. Like I think I first, I can remember w- like watching original episodes in the George Zunza era, Oof. Uh, which that was like the original pairing right. of, of you know back. This was back when Michael Moriarty was was the DA and right. and all the ADA, that. It was, the ADA through the ADA. I'm yeah. sorry. Yes. Um, and I watched that for a while. Uh, you know, SVU came out. A bit later, mm-hmm. uh, and I never really got into it. I, okay. I, it's it just never really. I mean, I knew it was there, and I didn't. I certainly had no nothing against it. And I had Richard Belzer, who I really enjoyed in in Homicide. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just 
it was like at a point where I had kind of tired on the formula. And, and that's the thing about Law & Order, any of the Law & Orders, that I struggle with after a while is even though it's like the blessing and the curse, you know exactly what you're getting with a law and order episode. Right. I mean, the, the, the dramatic arc is exactly the same in each one. You know that, you know, at approximately the 28 minute mark, they're switching over from the, the, the cop side of things to the DA side of things. And I got a little tired of that after a while. And, and so I was willing to accept it, you know, with Law and Order, the original, because I was still following the characters to some degree. But man, starting a new, uh, a new series where you didn't get that much of a difference, and it was just like I don't know if I can keep doing this. All so right. that was. So I have nothing against it per se, but it was not something that I was ever really able to sink my teeth into the same, you know, at the same level. But at, at the same time, like you nailed it, like that formula. You know, I I, I think that. It, it, after a while, yeah, it can wear on you, but that's also the great comfort of the Law and Order, um, the Law and Order family, right? You can click on it, you know, and no matter where when you click on it, you can kind of pick up within a few minutes where in the hour you are, and you know what's going to happen. You know, there's going to be that weird twist with about eight minutes to go that kind of throws the case into chaos, um, and just yeah, you know, it's 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 wonderful. And you mentioned Homicide. Is there a more underrated show in the history of TV than Homicide? I'm thinking. It, 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 you know, that might be a topic for a future week, but that's got to be high on the list of I mean, like, truly I... underrated people don't talk about it in terms of great TV. And, I mean, I mean, it's it, it, it's the pre-show to The Wire. You know, it's, right. it's Sports Night. It's, it, it, it is to the, wire, to the Wire what Sports Night is to West Wing. Right. Well, and I think I think the problem with Homicide was twofold. One, it was it was about ten years too early. No question. Like Homicide on HBO might have been the greatest show in history. Right. It, well, uh, it, it was. It was because called The Wire. It, well, well, okay. I think Homicide would have been better Ooh. because I think Homicide had a better ensemble cast for its first four years. Okay. I mean, that was a real. That was a dynamite cast. I, I mean, it, yeah. you know, from from Andre Brower. To Yafit Kato, to um, you know, to I mean, to Belzer, who I mentioned earlier, to I mean, I mean, all to Ned Beatty, I mean, just all the way down the line, it was just, it was a really amazing cast, mm-hmm. and um, and yet it, it was too, it was too early, and the other issue with Homicide was that they kind of ruined it in the last season because they. You know that somebody got into control of programming at NBC and decided what we wanted was more relationships as opposed to more of what made Homicide a really good show. Mm-hmm. They, it it is interesting though because everybody forgets about the Homicide movie. Did you ever see this, the made-for-TV movie? I if I did, I've forgotten it. I know it exists, but I'm trying to remember. I don't remember it really well. It, it was one of the more remarkable things because, like, I stopped watching the last season. Like, it it was just not a good show anymore, and I was really depressed about it. And then it just ended, and then it was gone for like five years. And then, in like two thousand or two thousand one, there was this homicide life on the street movie. And I mean, the whole premise is Yafit Kato's character uh, gets shot and killed while running for mayor, and basically they get the band back together to try to solve the crime. And it ended up, you know, being a really, really touching kind of last go around uh, to that show that I was, it was completely unexpected. It just kind of came out of nowhere. And I think it came like right as The Wire was starting. Okay. Uh, so 
but anyway, I agree with you. It was a tremendously underrated show, and you know, it was really one of the the early '90s like precursors to the the golden age of television that we've been experiencing for the last decade or so. Right. Um. Anyway, let's uh, let's jump to another topic as we we're burning through these, and we're still not anywhere closer to to the and end people, of it. And people are still adding them. Yeah. I don't know what the hell happened. Like, where have these people been over the course of this, this show? Uh, by the way, before we go on, I finished the High Lie Cigar City. So okay. my my Insta review, it's a little too hoppy. Okay. Like, uh, you mentioned Bell's Too Hearted. Bell's Too Hearted has, like, to me, the perfect hop balance. I'll buy that. For, Absolutely. For an IPA. High Lie was a little too hoppy for my taste. But I have another Cigar City that I'm about to try for the first time. Okay. This is the, this is the Invasion Pale Ale. Okay, so let's um, uh, let's try this and see how it is. All right, let's see. Hmm, that's very good. All right, that's that's very good. It's it is definitely not nearly as hoppy. It's got a little bit of a hop profile, but it's a lot smoother. Um, man, that's that. I'm gonna I'm gonna I will continue to report on this as all time right, goes. All right, but Bra- that is, that is, uh, all right, all right. Develop it. Hashtag developing news. So yes. All right. Um, where anyway, are we going next? Where are we going next on this? Well, we, we I think we got to just work down the list. Hillary Horry asks about the twins. Um, do you want to take that one? <laughs> so let's see the twins. Well, you know, I, I you know, look, what made it really great was that it was Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they really don't look at all alike, and yet they were twins, and that's what I, made the movie art. I was 50-50 whether you were going to go Danny DeVito or Justin Morneau. <laughs> All right, so is this in reference to anything specific, like a specific it's, twins? or It's like, in reference to the, the announcement that Beyonce is expecting twins. Oh, yes, that's a thing that happened. And that does tie into, I know that's a few questions down, kind of ties into Matt Zimmerman's question from the Grammys. Um, I, I had an unpopular opinion about Beyonce's performance that I stopped sharing when I realized Pierce Morgan was saying similar things, and yeah, so that's, I decided that, that, that's like where you're right and wrong at the same time. Right, exactly. So I'm like, I'm I, I, I'm just gonna leave this one alone. Um, you know, all celebrity of it aside, very happy for Beyonce and Jay Z. Hope the babies are ha- are are healthy and happy, and you know. You know, as sincere as my good wishes can be to them. Um, yeah. So the twins are a thing, and apparently that's a real thing. Um, um, yeah. So did, did you – are you a Grammys dude? Do you watch them? It was on in the background. Okay. It, but it's my least favorite of all the awards shows really? by far. Okay. It's, well, yeah, because it's just like – to me, like I, I watch the VMAs every year, it, it, it gives my wife no end of, of pleasure that I watch the VMAs because she just thinks that it's so incongruous with who I am as so, a human being. Uh, so I, by, I'll, I'll throw this out here as a suggestion. I think VMAs we should do like a riff tracks uh, uh, version of the podcast for the with the VMAs on. I I agree, like a mystery science theater three thousand right. sort of thing. Right, yes. right, right. Okay. So. Um, but but the Grammys are just. I mean, they they're like all the self importance of the Oscars with. Like, but but it's like everything is jammed together. It would be like if the Oscars legitimately tried to recognize like Adam Sandler movies every year, right? You know what I mean? It's like because you've got like country and you've got Adele and you've got Beyonce and you've got you know Meek Mill and I mean it's just like it does it's it's too much. Yeah, it's it's like a it's like going to dinner and getting sushi and tacos and pizza. 
and dim sum at the same time. <laughs> like it, 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 it doesn't work. And and I feel that's what the Grammys do to you. They just they shove all of this in front of you, and you're just it's overwhelming. All right. See, the Emmys tend to be my least favorite of the award shows, but I can see that about the Grammys. I mean, I tend to like the Grammys just because they're always. In my experience, there's one really fantastic uh, performance each week, each year, um, at least one or one that I that I, I very 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 much enjoy. So like this year, there was you know Sturgill Simpson, not his best televised performance, but I really enjoyed his perfor- his performance and uh, a tribe called Quest, um, kind of with right. the, with the standout performance. This year, um, we had a good talk. I, as I've mentioned on here before, I teach uh, media economics, so we had a chance to talk about Chance the Rapper and both the hat, that the his hat, and why the the significance of the of him leaving the sticker on, and why that was so valuable to New Era, but also his independence and how he doesn't sell his music. All his music is available for free or on the streaming services. So he's making most, he, it's a deliberate independent decision that he's making most of his money via touring and merchandising. And it's just, I, I, I do think that's, that's really interesting. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of forgettable stuff on the Grammys too, every year. Like there's always the one that you love, but then there's always about eight more that are just like, like Keith Urban and Carrie Underwood. Why? Why? We don't, <laughs> we don't need that. I have nothing against, I don't particularly like. I've been waiting all day for Sunday night, Brian. <laughs> I don't have any particular problem with Keith Urban. I rather like Carrie Underwood, but that 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 why why did why was that a thing? Um, now I want to I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna move this along to get to Matt Zimmerman's question because this was fantastic a performance and question. How awesome was Lady Gaga with Metallica at the Grammys? Alternately, how awful was Lady Gaga with Metallica at the Grammys? It really was all of those things it, and more. It really was. Um, I love that James Hetfield's microphone didn't work for like the first, the entire first verse. Usually, <laughs> I saw someone tweet "Enter Sound Man." Enter Sound Man. Yeah, Be- perfect. <laughs> what, what was what was so amazing about that was he sings, he starts singing, and there's no sound. And like, okay, that's the oh shit, it happens. You know, you can imagine that happening once in an award show. You know, it's not like he doesn't have the mic on or something's wrong with the mic. And so they go, they cut to Lady Gaga, and then they come back to him, and it still doesn't work. Like, right. like it's not that, like, oh crap, we have to pot him up. Like, there was something really, really wrong with it, and it was wonderful. And that was just, I, that was just a what the hell is this in the best possible way? Because it was just, you know, if nothing else, what I loved about that, and this is, I, I okay, this is getting back to my Beyonce criticism, and I'm not gonna, you know, read, go go crazy on it, but like. To me, the Beyonce thing was just a lot of that, and it was just a lot, and it, it didn't do anything for me. And that will just, you know, leave it at that. That's not for me. But the the the, the Lady Gaga Metallica, like that was a disaster. But that seemed like a fun disaster. Like that was just like let's put that let, let's you know there's fire and people da- weirdly dancing and and and, and Lars and Lars was wearing a, a a winter hat for some reason. I don't know. It was just it was it, it was it was it was everything. It was one it, it was just wonderfully chaotic. I I mean yeah, I agree with all those <laughs> things. I really don't have anything to add on this. I mean, I I saw it happen, but it didn't really register with me that much cuz I mm-hmm. wasn't waiting for it and I frankly had the sound down pretty low gotcha. uh, while it was going on. So uh, I will take your word for all of those things. But I will say this: I the the you know I, I I get I like music. I listen to a lot of different music. I'm pretty conversant with a lot of different 
artists and bands. Like I'm not really I don't limit myself on a lot of this stuff. There's a lot of pop acts that I enjoy. I don't really fully grasp the allure of Lady Gaga. Okay. Uh, and my wife just shot me a dirty look. But it's she's not a great singer. See, I, I disagree. I think she's. I, a, I think she is a very. I don't know. Great is subjective, but I think she's an outstanding singer. To be honest. I, well, she. She's. I don't know. I. I. I don't think she's technically particularly proficient at singing. I mean, her voice sounds like it's in a, like a self, a self set limiter or something like mm. that. Like it's. I don't know. Um, and she's. I don't know. It, it, it she doesn't do it for you, and that's fine. It's it's not even that it doesn't do it for me because there's a lot of things that don't do it for me. But I understand like Mumford and Sons doesn't do it for me, but I get why they're popular. Okay, or why they were popular. I don't know if they're popular anymore. Not so much. Uh, the, the the Lady Gaga thing. I, I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm I'm missing the equation. I, I've listened to a lot of her songs and I've seen her stage acts. I'm I'm missing the link between her output and the level of popularity that she has attained over the last seven years. Okay, interesting. Moving on. Anyway, moving yes. on. Um, what else we have? We had, we had another question from Jason Kennedy. Valentine's Day candy hearts or Halloween candy corn, which is worse? Hmm. Let's see. I'm going to go candy corn worse. Hmm. Um, and mainly because I, 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 I'm, not a, I'm a little bit of a sucker for the candy hearts just because I think they're, you know, throwback-y to, to elementary school. When you do the Valentine's and... And you know you you get some from from everybody in the class, and you have your little the little bag that you make next to the desk. And um, my daughter's doing that this week too, so it's kind of fresh in mind. And and for candy hearts, for me, I saw Jake po- uh, Jason posted, "Forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown" on a, on a candy heart, which is outstanding. <laughs> I, I I just always love the the candy hearts in the uh, Valentine's Day episode of Futurama, which um, both uh, they have the. Uh, I love you, W-U-V, which led to the alien saying, this concept of love uh, confuses him and infuriates me. <laughs> and then there, uh, and then Fry ch- is choking on one at the end because he has to eat all the candy hearts in, in a Homer Simpson with the potato chips in the space uh, setup, as you're well aware of. And, right. uh, and, he, and he's choking on it, and Leela saves him, and the heart was, you leave me breathless. So with, with its with its tie now as candy they're both god awful but but the the sentimentality behind the, the the candy hearts gives me the advantage gives them the advantage to me. See, I think candy corn tastes better than the Valentine's Day hearts. Mm. I think I think that is an objective truth. Uh, I mean, the candy that to but me the Valentine's still terrible. But well, no, but they're terrible in different ways. Candy corn is 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 terrible, but it's like it's, it's like a. It's like a hamburger, like uh, from Wendy's. Like it's terrible, but it's it's still a hamburger, so it's pretty good, even though it's terrible. And I, and I think candy corn's biggest um, crime is that it's too sweet. But that's about the biggest crime, and it, I don't think that that's necessarily that bad. And I actually kind of like the texture of candy corn. I, I don't think it's that bad. Whereas Valentine's Day hearts are basically just Necco wafers with printing on them. <laughs> No, that, that that's a disservice to Necco wafers because those are the, I think those have at least a little dusting of sugar on it. That, that the candy hearts, there's nothing redeeming about their taste. I'll give you that, but I don't think can't there's anything redeeming about candy hearts either. Um, so I, I do agree with Jason. There are no winners here. I, Fair I will, enough. I will agree with that. All right, moving on. Um, 
Uh, we, we're not going to hit the Michael Rayom question. It's about MLS because he's basically just kind of reverse trolling us because he wants Louisville to get an MLS team and not Indianapolis. Okay. So I'm not going to address that question. I'm making a, a moral decision there. Okay. Uh, last, last question uh, we had here is actually more of a statement from Matt Blaska. We skipped this- o- wait, we skipped over your wife, your, your lovely wife's uh- – the Trump Malargo. I'm not skipping over. I'm not skipping over that. We're going to come back to that. One. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, but I wanted to get to this this Matt Blasco one because yeah. it's sports related. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't want to get to the heavy stuff, you know. Right. Um, but this Bart Hubbock thing, yeah. where uh, Bart Hubbock, who was the NFL reporter for the New York Post, got fired after posting a tweet criticizing Trump's uh, inauguration, and now he's suing the Post. So. Um, so, you know, it, it, for those who aren't familiar with the background of this, Hubbock tweeted something. It was, uh, he know. tweeted, uh, 12 7 41 Right. Uh, you know, and his, his argument was, well, I did it on my own time. On my own computer. On my own computer. And so, therefore, being fired for that is, is not acceptable. Right. It's, yeah, it violates my free speech. What are your thoughts on this? I, uh, I think it's a load of hooey. Um, le- Which from part? A, the, uh, Bar- uh, Hubbock's argument from a legal standpoint. Now, I agree with him politically. However, um, here's the um, – I, I was reading about this last week, and they were talking to some uh, employ- employment lawyers – about that, and basically, in, in New York's an at-will state, so uh, employers can fire you for cause. And you know, if the New York Post has this, pol- you know, I should say, I, I, okay, I, I should back up, and I'm, I'm reframing my argument in here. I, I, I think that from a strictly legal uh, suing standpoint, I don't think I think Hubbock's case is hooey. I don't think he's going to win. On the bigger question of the moral high ground, I think the post is very wrong I, for um, for firing him over this. I feel like you know this is the thing you see a lot with newspapers, and I know this from people I know in the industry who are told, who have been told, you know, uh, on your Twitter feed, do not you know engage politically. Do not you know it's that that separation. You don't advocate for a public opinion. You don't uh, or a political opinion. You like. We're supposed to be neutral. We're supposed to be unbiased. We're supposed to be objective. All blah 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 blah. All this stuff, and I don't know. It, it, it bothers me because I think that a you know there is you know let's get you know get there's no real obje- objectivity. You know we all have our, our political viewpoints. We all have our our, our opinions on it. Um, Hubbock's a sports writer, so what his political opinion is isn't going to really influence his coverage of the NFL. Um, I mean, even more so than whether uh, a political reporter had tweeted this out, but especially a sports reporter, I don't think that has anything. I think that you know the Post is a very well, well it's well known as a conservative paper. It's the conservative tabloid in New York City. So I was say, I, it's basically the only conservative it is, paper it is, in New York City, right? Well, the, uh, the the mask the, of the of the of the big papers. So um, it's owned by Rupert Murdoch. So you know you have that that. Um, that that it looks like they were he was criticizing our guy on it. Um, I don't. I, so you know, on the big on the bigger issue, I think it's crap that the post fired him. Reading what I did from like a legal perspective, I don't think he has much of an argument in his lawsuit. I think I think he wins the war and the greater message, but I don't think he wins the case. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot to add to that. I mean, I guess my – I think it's it's naive for anybody, any writer or, or journalist or, or media personality to think that there is such a thing as private time on social media for messaging when – your job is basically 24 hours on social media right like like at what point can a reporter you know uh, tweeting from their own account where they also tweet professional yes. stuff claim yep. that they are on their own time i yes. mean like, i i go ahead i'm sorry no go ahead please so i i uh I, I think that's the key. Like, there's actually one writer, Dan Feinberg. He's a TV writer. He writes for the Hollywood Reporter now. He has, and I follow him both. He has his official like TV work account, and he has a private uh, uh, a home one that he tweets political stuff and sports stuff on. And he has like right in the in the bio, you probably want to follow at whatever his one tweeting mostly politics and sports. And that I think is the is kind of the right way to do it if you're going to. And I'd be in the public eye. But if you're tw- using your Twitter feed for your job and then you throw some politics on there, I don't think it's legally or kind of anyway. You can say, well, I'm, I'm doing this on my own time when it's still your, t- you know, you, you, you know, once you start using it for professional purposes, I think you, you that, that that's not an argument that you're going to win legally. Right. And look, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I feel like, look, I. On the one hand, I'm I'm fine with the guy, whatever his personal political feelings are. I'm fine like tweeting those. Do do whatever you want to do. Sure. But I think it's it also is naive to think I work for the standard bearer for conservative newspaper thought in America. Right. Comparing Trump's inauguration to 9/11 and Pearl Harbor is going to go over just fine <laughs> with my editors. Right. Like that that, that doesn't that mm-hmm. that. That that's you're kind of asking to get fired right. at that point, and that's fine. I mean, that's certainly your prerogative to do so. But don't don't do that and then act surprised by what happens afterwards. Bart Particularly, Barker Hubbard once lectured me on the proper use of uh, linking in Twitter. Oh God! And this was back in 2000. As I was covering the B Mets, he was the Mets beat writer for the Post back in back when I was covering the B Mets. So this would have been 2009 when I started using Twitter, and I put in. A link to one of my stories, and this was back when uh, link shortening mattered in Twitter. Like when you almost had to use a Bitly or something like that, or it had like an awful. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it was really bad, and I was new, and I was you know a Binghamton sports reporter, so I new to Twitter, I should say, and you know I was in Binghamton, and I posted a link to something, and he sent me this, and, and he tweeted me back, and it was like you should really, you should really use Bitly Dotly for a shorter version, and you can track. How many people, blah, 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 open it, blah, blah, blah. And it's not wrong, but it was like, this seems, you know, what, really? You know. I guess someone didn't really understand Twitter as well as they thought they did. I mean, he nailed it in 2009. Yeah, well, hey, yeah. Um, Yeah. Anyway, let's let's jump to the, I guess this is the last topic because we're already at the hour mark here. Right. Um, But uh, I wanted to get to the thing that uh, that Katie Metz-Clavio, my wife, posted about this. Mar-a-Lago thing. Um, <laughs> this is amazing, by the way. And I mean, I mean I, it's amazing because we're all going to die, but it's still amazing. I mean, I almost feel like w- the stories we're hearing are too incompetent to lead to any sort of permanent death. Like this is this is this is not like John Le Carre. This is more like you know Benny Hill. 
you know, I mean, it, this, this is like, this is a, not it's a, like real, a bad this, Monty. It's like a bad Monty Python this episode. Is, this is not the real Bond Casino Royale. This is the Peter Sellers Casino Royale from the '60s that made fun of all the Bond movies. Right, exactly. Like that's really the feeling. It's so so for those who haven't seen this story, basically, Trump was at a a dinner in Mar-a-Lago, which is Trump's resort, mm-hmm. and there's donors there and there are pictures that are taken and posted on facebook by this donor which have the japanese prime minister there and a couple of others but but one of the items is a um a picture of the guy who is in the trump entourage who's holding the nuclear football and i mean what else was in this Oh God! Um, so they so they got they also got the phone call about North Korea's missile test, right? Um, and they were openly talking about it and like taking the call and talking about it like in the dining room of the Trump Club of uh, of Dalago. So it's basically like in the middle. Like they they didn't even go to a, like a closet somewhere or like the kitchen. They were doing like in the dining room where all these people are just sitting around. All these rich people and donors are just like having dinner and hanging out in proximity to the president. And they're having this national security conversation of like North Korea is testing an inter- a potential intercontinental ballistic missile. Yeah, it's I I love 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 I, I I and I love it like again in in the incompetence that's not going to lead to death I hope but like the guy who so so the guy's there with the nuclear football and he from I I don't know what I love more. That he decided to pose for a picture with a guy. Because you figure right. at some point he would say, no, you know, I, I can't take photos. I'm literally holding the codes that, that will annihilate planet Earth. No, I, no, no, thank you. That the guy said, you've got the nuclear football. I want to take your picture. Let's, let's be honest, I would totally ask him to take a picture. But, and then he posted it to Facebook and, like, bragged about it. It was not, like, <laughs> this is I amazing. Mean, I mean, I would okay. I would take a picture of the guy with the nuclear football. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I you would know. you would brag. You would probably brag about it. Too. I, I would probably, like. I don't I, think you like. I, if you I, have that much money, I don't think that that rich Brian Moritz is really gonna go through the process of thinking. I can't post this picture. This guy has the nuclear codes. If I if I'm rich enough to be in there, I'm trying to see how much it takes him to open the open the thing so I can see yeah, the codes. Like absolutely. I don't care the picture. I want to see. I want to see what's in the case. Is it actually codes? Is it so, like is it like 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 a like a Goldfinger thing with the knobs? Is it just like a a, a flash drive? I want to see what's in, what the is it so actually a football? I want to see s- this. You saw this. You saw this thing that um, I think it was I might have been Politico might have been the Washington Post I can't even keep track of who's writing these stories now but where the, the, the article about how the intelligence community has stopped giving cre- <laughs> uh, stop yeah. giving Trump I almost said cream <laughs> maybe they could switch jobs I, I can't imagine cream with the nuclear football either um but stop giving trump his full security briefing because right. they're convinced that there's a, a, a mole for the kremlin in the white house right which is totally which is totally normal that the president doesn't get the full intelligence briefing that's but, totally fine there's no problem with that i don't think my wife had heard this story she just <laughs> shot me a look like what are you talking about but anyway so i got so this got me thinking what if Instead of the nuclear football, instead of the actual launch codes and so forth, it's like what an if actual in, football. 
No, no, no. Well, that's the thing. Like, what, if, what if the intelligence community has been like, we, we, we really can't send this out with him. So instead of the actual nuclear codes, we're just going to put like an Epicurious recipe. <laughs> You know, like he's gonna, like he's gonna, like demand that we bomb North Korea or somebody, and he's gonna demand the the, the briefcase, and they open it and they hand it to him, and it's just like you know, beef Wellington. <laughs> I like the idea that it's actually like a Nerf football with like nuclear, like like like, like nuclear football, nuclear written on it, and that's the nuclear football, and the actual codes are like like Obama still got him, like he didn't give him up. He's right. he's like kite surfing, and he still got him because he knows better. Um, <laughs> what a ama- what amazingness it um, really is it really is quite amazing it's fantastic so um anyway we're, we're i think we're out of time we never got to any so. of your topics and we need to yeah. um but yeah. i think i think they'll all survive until next week i think so yeah there's nothing that's uh that's super time worthy on this i did like the, so i i will put this as, as reading for people the uh the piece uh from the observer last week about uh it was the uh a guy who worked with Tucker Max and did his marketing and basically yes. how he recommends dealing with kind of the alt-right trolls is really interesting and really good and really kind of, I think for a lot of people will challenge in a very good way, their thoughts on how they should, uh, you know, the fears of normalizing everything that's going on. And I like to think that he would approve of how we handled uh, the Trump nuclear football situation here. I think that's kind of getting at a healthier way to deal with it than to freak out too much over it. But that's really good. So I'll put that in show notes uh, for today. And we will talk about that next week. I think that that's an important one. And that particularly is interesting when you combine it with the, the media freak out about the, uh, uh, you know the the idea that Hillary Clinton's going to run for president again in 2020. Oh, is that a thing? Oh, that was all over today. Like oh, the Washington geez. Post had something, Politico had something yesterday. You need to go look this up, man, like right. Man, now. you you go to go to one faculty assembly meeting and the world <laughs> just almost ends on you. It's more than you can keep up with. <laughs> right? Anyway, yeah, we we need to wrap up now. We got to save our voices. Right. I don't know for what, but we got to save our voices. <laughs> but, uh, but Brian, any final thoughts before we before we bid adieu to this thing? No, no I, I mean, I think we, I think as always, we've just helped a lot of people. So we've certainly helped ourselves, and that's really the important part, right? But uh, anyway, thank you, folks, for listening, and thank uh, you, Brian, for uh, being a willing participant in in this whole hour. And I hope you're watching the Westminster. Uh, show in the background right now. They've got the the ridiculous looking poodle. Why are wow. these poodles? I've never understood the concept behind the poodle. Like, why is the poodle of all the dogs the only one that gets like a specialized shaving pattern? I I, I don't know. I don't like poodle night. I'm a, I, I, I I'm the big dog night. I'm the lab. I'm the golden. You know, the the poodle night is just it's far too it's tar- far too fancy and poof and foofooey for me. Not. Wow. And, and, but at least they're not cats. No at least they... <laughs> Speaking of goldens, my golden just knocked my microphone almost off my face. So, <laughs> um, on that note, let's go ahead and uh, finish things up. Uh, thanks to all you folks for listening. Thank you, Brian, and, and thank you to everybody for your contributions throughout the course of the evening. I am Galen Clavio. This is the flip side, and we will catch you on the flip side. So long, everybody. See it.